Welcome to Teaching Artist Podcast, a show dedicated to discussions of teaching art to kids, making art, and how those things overlap and feed each other. I'm Rebecca Potts, your host, a visual arts teaching artist. Before we get into this week's conversation with Blade Wynn, I have a few exciting announcements. First, I've been working on more ways to support and highlight teaching artists. And one idea that I'm starting right away is a weekly featured artist opportunity. Featured artists will have their work shared on our social media and website, as well as mentioned here on the podcast. Yay! To apply, head over to teachingartistpodcast.com slash opportunities. There, you'll also find links to apply to be a guest on the show and to apply for our open calls through our sister project, Contemporary Art for Young Audiences, which is an online gallery run in collaboration with Maria Coit of Curated for Kids. Maria and I are planning to open a call soon, so join our mailing list and keep an eye out. Our first exhibit there is closing in less than a week. See Where It Takes You offers work for sale with 20% benefiting amplifier. Sales close September 4th, so head over soon to grab some gorgeous work and support an organization doing amazing work in art education and social justice. The images and videos from the exhibit will remain up, but work will not be for sale after September 4th. Also closing on September 4th is registration for a fun project dreamt up by one of the artists in the exhibit, Dean Bowers. Together While Apart is a collaborative project from a distance. Sign up on our website. There's a link under exhibit at the top, and I'll also include a link in the show notes. And Dean will mail you a kit to create a piece of art with a prepaid mailer to send it back to her. She and I will be hosting a creative hangout on Zoom. When your piece is finished, then you send it back to Dean and she'll put them all together into a final quilt-like piece. This project is open to all ages, so you can request a few kits and create with your kids. We are so excited to spend time together and de-stress a bit. Another much bigger undertaking that I've started planning is community support and critique groups. If you'd like to help us shape these groups or get involved as a founding member, fill out the survey at the bottom of that opportunities page. And last announcement, I promise, I will be hosting a free class on Be Fun, Be Kind on September 9th. I'm excited to share some really fun printmaking techniques with you. We'll be exploring printmaking using supplies most people probably already have at home. I'll walk through six ways of making prints. This will be a fun, hands-on art workshop appropriate for all ages. So I invite parents and teachers to join me with or without your kids. I'm excited to share methods that you can replicate with students. And for art teachers, there are so many extensions that you can add to these printmaking techniques. So join me for my live event on Be Fun, Be Kind. I'll add a link to the show notes. 
Okay, on to this episode with Blade Wynn. Blade shared how he teaches with a focus on process over product and bringing his ways of looking and making into his classrooms. He shifted from teaching at the university level through a summer career shift program and just dove into teaching at the elementary level, primarily second grade, just this year. What a wild first year. Blade is constantly inspired by the work his early elementary students create and talks about the inventiveness of this age level. He also shares some of his favorite lessons so far and how teaching is akin to improv in some ways. Blade Wynn was born in 1980 in Providence, Rhode Island. He received his BFA in painting from Pratt Institute in 2002 and his MFA in painting from Rhode Island School of Design in 2008. His work has recently been exhibited at Shaco Art Space of Richmond and the Virginia Museum of Contemporary Art. His work has appeared in publications such as Journal of the Print World and New American Paintings. He is a recipient of the VMFA Visual Arts Fellowship, a professional award, as well as the Virginia Commission for the Arts Fellowship in Painting. As an educator, he taught 2D design, painting, and drawing for several years in the Foundation Art Department at Virginia Commonwealth University and the Governor's School for the Arts in Norfolk, Virginia. He is currently entering his second year of teaching elementary art in the public school system of Chesapeake, Virginia. So, hello. Hi. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm here with Blade Wynn, and I'm very excited to hear about your teaching and your art making. I like to start with just some background, sort of which one came first, being an artist or being a teacher, and and how did you come to be both of those things? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely uh, someone who grew up drawing a kind of lifelong artist type of person who um i just kind of i think i I, the more i think about i think of as a kid you kind of drawing as a kind of escape where you're kind of going into Mm -hmm. your own world and um and not as uh, i was planning to become an artist most of the time i was just drawing and then i ended up good at drawing and then i thought well this might be the only way for me to make a living i'm not really good at anything else so i went to the art school route and then you go to art school and you realize, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make a living with uh, the art thing. So I guess right. let me try the teaching thing a little bit. It doesn't look too hard to you know sit around and talk about paintings in a fine art <laughs> setting. So when I went to grad school, I I, 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 I did some things that would make it uh, you know a, a have the ability to teach thinking. Mm-hmm. Hey, I could maybe I could go into this teaching thing. And that was some of my my first experiences teaching were in grad school, and that was kind of the place where I kind of first realized I really liked teaching, but it's a very, it was a very different college sort of atmosphere than I'm because I'm at the elementary level now. Yeah. And how did that shift happen? Well, I've been, I've been teaching at the college level, adjunct teaching for since like mm-hmm. about 2013. So it was like several years, part time. And I had, I was having trouble breaking into that full time kind of position. Yeah. And, you know, having kids, getting older and thinking, hmm, I've tried this, uh, you know, what if I taught public school or something like that? It seemed like a, a bit of a far-fetched idea me, since I'd never uh, handled a class of, let's say, like, you know, whole big second grade, first grade classes. I just dealt with right. college kids where you walk in and maybe one kid's asleep on the floor and like, that's fine. <laughs> There's no chairs in the room. And then we just talk about paintings for six hours, <laughs> watch, yeah. you know, and so I was used to that. So it was, it, it was a bit of a gamble. 
I ended up going through a, a, the, this this. ODU has a program, it's a career switching program where you, mm-hmm. it's an uh, alternate, alternate route to licensure. So yeah. I did the summer thing last summer. So I took some courses and stuff like that. And so that springboarded me into the elementary teaching. And I've been very, in a way, surprised to find how much I love it. And really, I feel like I've found my vocation as a teacher teaching, particularly at the, like the really the early elementary uh, ages. I And it's, it's, it's been great. Yeah. And you were telling me earlier which grades you're teaching now. Could you? Yeah. I technically teach um, first through fifth grade, but uh-huh. for the, you know, I'm, as I was saying, I'm split between school, two schools, and I'm mostly teaching a lot of second grade and a little bit less of the other stuff. So I'm kind of more of, yeah. I feel like I'm a little bit more expert in the second grade. <laughs> Yeah, that's so interesting to me that you're like really focused on one age level. Yeah, I'm not sure why that happened. Yeah, how has that been? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if people have a plan behind the scenes, but yeah, it's it's I have for some reason I didn't have to do kindergarten, and uh, so that'll be like next year if mm-hmm. I'm teaching kindergarten, that will be a whole different challenge. Yeah. I've heard some stories. That. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. So have you found it harder? I guess you haven't taught really other like in, in a different setting in terms of elementary teaching. I'm just thinking for myself teaching the whole range of elementary. It's it's kind of nice to have that range. Yeah. But then there there does feel like maybe it'd be nice to be able to really focus down and yeah. do you like dig into standards a lot and one thing that's really nice if i have three i had like three days in a row where it would be like 15 second grade classes like you know it's like day after day so that you go through them you have this lesson plan and then the classes get better and better because you're really because you're like really nailing down this lesson that you plan and then you make you can make adjustments class to class and and then, um, mm-hmm. so that's been, that's been really good. It's hard. Like I only have one fifth grade class, so I'll teach that class. And then depending how it went, it's like, well, there goes that assignment. I can't, I don't have a, you know, a test right. test class. Usually, you know, my Monday morning second grade class, they're like, they're like, unfortunately <laughs> like the test group. And then like I change, right. always change things quite a bit by the, yeah. by the how, see how it goes. Yeah. I do exactly the same thing. I'm like, sorry guys that get me first. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, yeah. Do you have any favorite lessons that you've done with them? Uh, yeah. I, um, I keep, you know, something that connects to my art practices. I, I keep making them essentially make my art (laughs) and then like, and then I can look at everything and say, this is great. It looks just like my art. Good job. But, um, but seriously, um, yeah, I mean, I keep going, a lot of times I go back to this kind of like drawing plants and things like that. So Mm -hmm. whether it's like, I had some like pine branches hanging in the classroom and it was a way of kind of talking about line. And then we just, these kind of, Hey, a pine needle is just a line. So if you just draw a line, that's like a perfect drawing of a pine needle right there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. But so I think the ones where there's a lot of kind of experimental drawing and drawing things, like I had them, I had another assignment Mm -hmm. where I was, this is kind of like one of the more creative things I've done ever, I think, <laughs> was it kind of, I did a test class where it didn't work out at all. I had them trying to draw some sticks 
and do light and mm-hmm. dark. And I had them trying to do like a, just kind of like a graphite thing and then a race where it was lighter. Yeah. Do like a toned graphite paper and then a race to show the light of where the stick is. Right. It wasn't working because like the little second grade hands couldn't erase. And then, oh. and then I did a thing where, oh, I know, I'll just give them strips of tape, masking tape, and I'll just have them color half the tape a dark graphite color. And then I'll have them put strips of tape down on gray paper. So then it was oh. immediately like uh, a light value for like the light and then a middle tone and then like a dark. So that is immediately a sense of volume light. So yeah. it, was like a, it looked like college work immediately, but it was second grade. Wow. <laughs> so that's awesome. So, and I think I really, I like how when I can kind of put things together where the kids are enjoying it, they get it. And it also, is kind of like mysteriously, you know, almost, uh, almost adult and it's like adults can take pleasure in it. Right. And it's not like just like a usual, maybe like a craft thing where they, you know, put glitter on a, a triangle or it look like a tree or something, but it was yeah. kind of, you know, it kind of reached into some, some more visual kind of depth. Yeah. Like you're satisfying that adult aesthetic, but still, yeah. you know, giving the kids a process that they enjoy and can learn from. Yeah. 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 That's a tricky balance getting, you know, like not wanting to do sort of cookie cutter, like Pinterest projects. Yeah. (laughs) But, but wanting, wanting that aesthetic, that like adult aesthetic. Yeah. And finding places where the kids can enjoy it because, you know, they, they have their own interests. Right. But a lot of times kids really do enjoy having something look kind of real. Right. So, and then there's sort of that kind of magic trick of when just simple little, like, oh, this thing looks like it's in front of that thing, or that thing looks farther away because it's smaller, or this thing looks like there's a shadow. So, simple things like that, the kids like. Yeah, I was just trying to put together a lesson on depth for second grade, like that depth in landscape and all the tricks that can, can make it look like it's you know one thing is further or closer yeah 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 i did a, i did a, some stuff like that and i think yeah. i think i a lot of my own artwork a lot of times just revolves around those kind of really simple tricks mm-hmm. so i'll just maybe it's just bigger with some more paint on a bigger canvas but basically it's like you know like this stick is bigger than that stick and then this is some light hitting <laughs> that stick and there's a shadow and you know and it's thrown together a little you know kind of uh there's a kind of more aesthetically i don't know what i want to say complex but maybe it's just kind of like a just kind of more ambitious scale but i'm often using mm-hmm. very kind of simple kind of tricks i like this kind of simple in my work kind of like almost more childlike simple kind of art visual pictorial art tricks <laughs> Yeah. And have you been able to continue your work? Do you have a studio at home or out of the home? I, I've i just sort of moved into a new house. Okay. So nice. I was living with my I was living with my mother in law for something like ten years. And wow. <laughs> which is another reason to get have a more of a full time job and yeah. uh, move out. <laughs> right. But I, I was working in like a sun porch there mm-hmm. and and, I, and I've made a lot of work in that. So now, now I've moved, and I and I don't really have I don't have as much space, but I have a bunch of backyard. Oh, nice! So I have a lot of dirt, yeah, and trees and things, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is actually very relevant to me since I've I've really been actively getting more and more into growing lots of little trees and pots. Mm. And then I and I kind of hesitate to use the word bonsai. Because then, you know, you have all these images of, oh, he's doing like 
Japanese art with trees and they look like tiny trees. But I, you know, I think I have about something like a hundred little trees and like yogurt pots and wow. milk crates. And I have all these little things growing and, and, uh, you know, and I'm, and I'm sort of keeping them alive. That's like my studio right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, occasionally I'll wrap a piece of wire around one tree and tell mm. it to grow a different way. Uh-huh. And, uh, and maybe these things are going to kind of become still life. As I look at them more and more, I start mm-hmm. seeing uh, some paint. So paint is coming, but um, so that's a big. That's like my art studio right now is uh, my my backyard. Yeah, like a garden. Do you, would you see them as like sculptures that you would want to show, or are they more objects that you would paint, and then the paintings are the work? Yeah, I, that's a good point. Yeah, since I'm so early in the phase of playing with it, they are. Yeah. They are little aesthetic, like they're ornamental horticulture, you might say. Mm -hmm. They are these little objects that I look at in an aesthetic way, but then they could also, you know, I could also use them as still life. And the the thing about showing them is it's a whole different other world of like, how do you show little trees? They need light. You can't just leave them in a gallery. (laughs) (laughs) They have to have a very specific kind of way to show them. And then that's a whole other world of people showing trees that i don't really understand but Uh (laughs) that's that's something i'm very Mm. in terms of the question of uh, what i'm curious about i'm very curious the one thing that's really nice is you know if you have a family and you're very busy it's hard to find a lot of time in the studio but (laughs) if your art is little trees you go out there and you water it and maybe that was all you did that day but then it keeps growing while you're away yeah maybe you just like doing the work without you (laughs) it's always my work is always growing you know it's a very it's it's an addictive kind of thing in that way it's and it's you know from year and then from year to year surprises keep happening and then you take it out of the pot and it's got this whole different root system that you've never seen before and yeah and uh, you know and so that's been very inspiring to me especially when you don't maybe don't have time particularly in this time of in this uns- you know the strange time of all yeah. this uh, pandemic stuff it's it's just it's been a place also of a peace for me and mm-hmm. going into that kind of garden place where you can take care of some things. And there's also this sense of like, you look at a little plant and you say, this could really be good in 30 years. So I have a 30 right. year plan for that little tree. So the future is, there's a lot of bright future things going on there. <laughs> yeah. Longevity and yeah. thinking into the far off future. Yeah. I'm generally not a person that does that. Don't, I don't have a lot of like what I'm going to be doing next year or yeah. five years. Oh, it's funny with these little trees. I'm like that there's like, you know, it's like they outlive you, which is kind of funny. Yeah. And they kind of force you to think like that and think about that. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. It's, it'd be interesting to see how the worlds of like botanical gardens and museums can cross and like, mm-hmm. where that works. Yeah. You have these botanical gardens around mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, this. I wanted to have a show of. I was thinking of a show of invasive species. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and we have a bunch of strange, uh, thorny things that no one likes. Yeah, <laughs> that was my more. I guess my more antagonistic art <laughs> idea. I had a, I had a plan for a poison ivy hanging basket, but I uh, probably won't do that. <laughs> Watch out! <laughs> <laughs> my p- plant joke art ideas. Yeah. I, 
<laughs> yeah, I'm going to stay away from that. Do you share any of this stuff with your students? Do you like talk about it with them or show them pictures? Well, not not yet, but I have yeah. some very serious plans because it just seems like such a perfect thing. If you had a kind of bonsai tree mm-hmm. on a table as a still life, you could have kids draw this little tree. Yeah. So they would be doing like a landscape from life, but you're in a classroom. So you don't right. have to go take them outside, which is very complicated. So, and the other thing is, if you have a deciduous tree, uh, you could take that tree and show them in the summer and like, okay, it's all green, but then you could take it, then it comes back in the fall and say, look, the leaves have changed. Right. And you come back in the winter. So you have this whole kind of teaching about life cycles, teaching about biology and the seasons and things like that. Yeah. So that's a kind of, I think, an exciting possibility for bringing, I like to bring in things from outside. Right mm-hmm. now, I've, I've brought in some sticks I painted white and I brought in some pine branches and I was collecting little like wasp nests. I think I'd like to like Ooh. have the kids have some little like strange nature objects, maybe in like plastic boxes uh-huh. that they can't get to. So they can't uh. touch the weird, you know, but I don't know exactly what the rules are. Sometimes they have rules like don't bring in any dead animals into the school and stuff like right. that. Right. <laughs> Might be frowned upon. Teaching a magnet, the uh, governor's school, magnet high school I taught at in Norfolk, a student brought in a whole rotting deer carcass. It was mostly bone, but it smelled like death in the room. And Uh. it was like, I think there's a, oh yes, the handbook does have a rule that you're not supposed to bring in any dead animals. (laughs) (laughs) But that might be more too disturbing. I'm going to edit that out. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it's funny that it's even like that rule has to be an actual written rule. (laughs) It's like this happens often enough that (laughs) we've got to have it in there. Yeah, that's more the upper grades where people are trying to, like, you know, rock the boat. Uh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thinking about your teaching style, I wanted to ask if you bring in art history into your lessons. Do you share historical artists or contemporary artists and yeah i like i'm still i'm a first year teacher so everything i'm doing i'm learning and i know how to do it more with college but i'm still figuring out how to do it with uh, with like second graders because their attention span you you know you have this brief window of uh, sometimes giving a lesson and then if you spend too long telling them about the history you can kind of lose stuff i did have one thing that worked where i I think worked well where I did a, I talked about, it was about sim, talking about symbols. And mm-hmm. I kind of started with, uh, with the, with talking about the eagle on the quarter. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, well, the eagle on the quarter. And then I, and then I showed them some images of where, you know, where did this eagle, if we talked about what the eagle symbolizes, and then I talked about where did this come from? And, you know, it comes from the Roman, the Romans, you know, I showed them like a Roman coin, ancient Roman coin. It has mm-hmm. like, has the head of the emperor on one side and the eagle on the other. You know, and there's kind of like a, you know, they're kind of like, what is, you know, it's like, that's surprising that it looks just like a quarter. And then, and then what the Romans didn't come up with that, they, you know, they took the eagle symbol from the Egyptians. And then there's this kind of, uh, it's it's really more like a falcon, but essentially it's this, uh, you know, Horus has this, uh, you know, this, this symbol that looks just like a quarter, like the the legs outstretched. And then, so they're looking at this kind of Egyptian art. Rome, Rome, ancient Roman art, and it's the same uh, symbol, kind of, con- and seeing how it connects. Yeah. And then I had them draw their own symbol, like come up. I think the idea was I was like, have, come up with, do your own animal, and and I had like a list of things I could kind of choose from, symbolizing. Like I, it was the idea was you know like imagine you are like uh, you know like the king or queen of your own mm-hmm. empire or country and you have a and this is your coin and what's on your coin and, and you know if if the eagle symbolizes strength and power then what does your thing symbolize that kind of thing right so that connected and they love that like 
I'm the king. I'm the queen. They, that yeah. one worked out pretty well. <laughs> Sometimes I'll show R and they're like, ah, yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> But I try I, – I generally – a lot of times I'm a little heavy on the mm-hmm. process. Like uh, I have this idea of what I want them to do and then I show them how to do it. And a lot of times it's not too focused on like let's say like let's right. do a Matisse or let's do – let's have it look like Matisse. And I, I, I'm more focused – I'm more fo- – see, one thing I think about is how you know there's this cliche like kids are you know like uh, if you do like abstract art or something and then someone says oh what's what's this my kid yeah. can do that uh, I, I might kill my kid that's the cliche but so now, and then i think like yes your kid could do it because your kid is an yeah. art genius because children are natural art geniuses but you sir couldn't <laughs> do it <laughs> because it's like magically you know i don't know how these kids are doing it but so i think one thing what i'm trying to make a point is is that Having kids do stuff, they are the art geniuses that Picasso was inspired by or all kinds of, you know, you know or Paul Clay or other artists are inspired by the art of uh-huh. children because the art of children is inspiring. Right. And so a lot of times it's just like giving them a space and giving them certain material ideas or, you know, like sometimes it's just like about the idea of like a line or, or, or light or form and kind of letting them do their own thing and not being so much about you know, like copy this artist or do that artist thing as if that's like putting that person on a pedestal, but there's only a place for that. I don't want to say, but I I do, uh, it's something I have to figure out how to do more of. Yeah. Have you heard at all of, uh, teaching for artistic behavior or looked into that at all? Is that like a specific thing? It's yeah. It's like, um, sort of a teaching like philosophy or teaching method that it sounds like you're kind of doing and you might be like, you might be into that. I mean, it's really, really summed up is there's like a what they call a three sentence curriculum that's mm-hmm. the child is the artist. Yeah. The classroom is our studio. And then what do artists do? Oh, that sounds good. So your your role is sort of facilitating them figuring out, well, what does an artist do? And like what behaviors does an artist have? How do I, if I have an idea, like what can I do with that idea? Yeah. So just sort of facilitating them learning the entire artistic process. Yeah. Which includes, you know, can include a ton of structure and giving them like demos in specific materials and media and, you know, showing specific techniques, but then giving them a lot of freedom in terms of what they do with those materials and techniques. That sounds like that's that's my philosophy. Yeah. I should say that. <laughs> Uh, that's a good thing. I'll, I'll drop that. Yeah, the there's, but, um, there's some great books that can help with like how to structure a classroom for young learners around that philosophy. Yeah, mm-hmm. it seems like to me that there's a lot of in the early uh, elementary art, elementary art, there's a lot of making the student, having the student kind of follow a very specific process. Mm-hmm. And then you get a lot of work that looks the same. Yeah. And it's so, and but then when you let the kids kind of, I mean, I don't let them just do whatever, but like, let's say if we're looking at a pine branch, but then they can do any shape they want of the branch, or then they could uh-huh. do, there's like, you know, I did one kind of, I, one of the things that really worked out well for me is uh, I did a landscape thing where I had them just do three bars, three rectangles. So it's kind of like this, imagine like a middle ground, foreground, yeah. background. And I just had them, first I said, okay, put down one, uh, it was oil pastel. So it was like, put down any color. 
on the top bar, put down any color in the middle, or at least put down any color on the bottom. And then I had to now put down another color on any bar. So basically, it was just mixing any colors at all. Yeah. And then the middle was always blue. So that became like the far space sky. Huh. And then we just put some trees in front of the sky. But they, they, they all end up looking different and they're all like kind of exploring. And I think that's uh, that's something I really like to do, this kind of finding ways for everyone to have something that really goes in a different way. But it's, it's mm-hmm. I guess, uh, put it again, it's like I'm always working at this, at how do you how do you work out the assignment so that there is flexibility, but there's some constraints. But it's, I think that's the thing that I'm always working with. Yeah. Yeah. Something you were saying, which I was thinking about, was I, I was walking down the hallway in a school, and it, it, there's a sign that said, "Every child is an artist." And that, and on the one hand, it's like, I guess that's that's a positive statement. It's supposed to, and it's good for kids to hear that. Maybe they don't, they, they wouldn't think of themselves that way. But it's funny because it's like every child is an artist, but is that implying that every adult is not an artist? Because mm. then the children become adults. Right. Because a lot of times with most adults, you say. Oh, but you're—I guess you're an artist, right? Like, no, not me. I can't even draw a straight line. You know, there's this kind of right. reticence for people. Right? And then if you said, "Oh, but when you were a kid, you were an artist," you're like, no, even then, the people will kind of pull back. Mm-hmm. Say, "I was—I well, could never make art when I was." And so it's just—I think what I'm trying to point out is—is is something is. I think that's part of the reason why a lot of the uh, like the way that sometimes art classes are structured is it's not structured in that teaching for artistic behavior. Mm-hmm. As much it's like it's teaching for follow these steps to create that product, right? And instead of letting it be like uh, kids exploring a little bit more, yeah, which is riskier, yeah. And and then the adults really don't know how to value it as much because they're they're not thinking of themselves as artists. So it's real. The truth is like every, you know, every child is an artist and every adult is an artist. Right. It's just that most adults have sort of stopped exercising that muscle Mm -hmm. in their brain or soul or whatever it is. (laughs) Yeah. And it is a muscle. Like you have to exercise it. You have to practice the same way you would anything else. Right. Yeah. 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 That's so interesting to think about it that way. And I do feel like that, you know, the way we often teach and the way a lot of art teachers are kind of taught to teach is to create the end product with like step-by-step instructions, which is so like comfortable for kids to do and comfortable for even adults like, you know, go to the paint parties and follow the instructions and make something pretty. Yeah. But you're not, you're not exercising that muscle, that like creative muscle. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I think it's totally valid, like it's fine to to do that stuff and to have fun with it. And, you know, I've like hosted some paint parties and gone to paint parties. It's fun <laughs> like to not have to really turn on that really super creative part of your brain and just be told step by step. Yeah. But there's definitely like a difference there in terms of what you're learning. Yeah. I think it's a, another thing is, is we want to tell the children you're an artist and don't be afraid to fail, you know? Yeah, and you try yeah. it and then you fail and then try. But that's I think that's part of the reason why we need the step-by-step thing is because when you get older, you, know, you tell the kid, well, if you fall down the bike, you'll just get back up and keep riding. But then when you're an adult, it's like, if I fall down the bike, that's not really an option. It's going to hurt too much. Yeah. 
And if I fall down trying to make this art, it's just too painful for me mm -hmm. and I can't go there anymore. So I think that's why we, we're not, we tell the kids, it seems I was like, well, you got to fail. You have to fall and you got to get back up and keep trying. But then adults get to a point where they, they, they're unwilling to keep failing yeah. because in order to keep growing and, and actually any kind of an artist, you have to be in this constant state of like failing and, and, mm -hmm. and failing better. <laughs> which is yeah. something like the Samuel Beckett quote, which you might know how that quote goes exactly. <laughs> it's something it like <laughs> something like fail, fail again, <laughs> keep failing, and then then uh, that's it. Right. right. <laughs> so, something Just like that. Failing. It's fail, fail again, no matter, try again, something like that. Yeah. But essentially, you know, fail, fail better is the is is the best we can hope for. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it's like if you don't. If you don't try at all, there's no possibility that you might succeed. Yeah. So you have to, you know, put it out there, keep trying. And yeah, there's going to be yeah. a lot of failure. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's also from the art teacher perspective. If, you know, you have a successful lesson, if you get a bunch of kids that make something pretty nice that they can bring home. Mm -hmm. But if you if you open up the doors of like, let's just let's see what happens a little bit, it, you know, it's just, people are afraid. Well, I don't I can't have that kind of risk. Mm -hmm. What if, you know, no one it doesn't work out and I have to kind of keep things safer so yeah i think that that's part of people kind of just becoming afraid to take risks as as like lesson planners yeah it almost requires redefining what is success as a teacher is it having your kids produce a product that we value as adults like from our aesthetic viewpoint or is it having the kids produce really intangible learning that you can't see and it's hard to document it's hard to track you know that yeah. they're really learning how to go through this difficult creative process yeah i had i think the first assignment i gave had to do with like making a scribble mm -hmm. doing a scribble i then played some music and then had some like scribbling to the tempo and so i basically you know you have a scribble oh, yeah. and then and then i was like okay now let's look at the scribble and, and see if you can see something in the scribble and then complete the drawing like that and it was kind of like I can remember some of the things he all said. It was like one kid. Their idea is that it looked the scribble looked like a walking wave, oh. like a wave in the ocean that had feet. Yeah. And it was these yeah. ideas that it was like that's amazing. I've never even heard of such an idea. But if I look at the thing now, it just looks like probably just looks like a scribble. Yeah. But it was actually a very kind of creative. I you know called him out in front of the class like how like the great of an idea that was. So that that was you know and it's hard to measure that. Mm -hmm. That was a great moment though. There isn't a product that I can like hang on the wall and say, look at this walking wave. Yeah, but that is such a cool, like it's such great imagery. Yeah. He's almost writing, writing poetry about the art. Yeah. you're in your first year would you have tips for other artists that are like thinking of diving into this i think what i heard which i think holds true is behavior management is huge mm -hmm. when i first on that first day that i mentioned i actually had an accordion in the classroom ah, and yeah. i was like dance around and in my mind i was thinking i have to make this fun and entertain them <laughs> and you know and let me and i'm like setting the tone as like uh you know like class is noisy and wild <laughs> 
mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, and as I've gotten like, through the, you know, as I've taught more, you start to realize like the kids don't really need me to like uh, get them to have fun. They're already right. going to find a way to have fun. But if I can provide some more structure, mm-hmm. so, you know, some of these kind of like behavior management so that if I can just uh, kind of corral their energy into the art. And so I mm-hmm. think that behavior management is, is, is the biggest thing, you know, because if once you have, if you have a kid's upset or they're fighting, it, you know, kind of everything stops mm-hmm. or, you know, you lose a lot of time that way if they're not lining up for the, do it. Uh, you know, yeah. if you have clear procedures and, and kind of rules of what happens, then you get more out of the class. Right. I guess there's a line where it can get a little bit too stuffy, you know, and a little too rigid where the kids are maybe afraid to be creative because of all the rules. But but mm-hmm. so I think that's a big thing, behavior management. And, and but at the same time, I think is not thinking that don't think that you can plan, have it all worked out. As soon as you get to the class, it's always this kind of moving target moving scene that's happening that you you have to be constantly into this kind of spontaneous it's like improv to me yeah so, like, <laughs> you know it's like you have to just keep you can't say okay cut or time out <laughs> you have to be right. there the whole time in this role you're on stage as the teacher and in some ways it's kind of uh, good because y- you can't make the perfect plan you can make mm-hmm. a good plan, but then always know that you have to, you know, jump around and, and improvise. And I enjoy that because I'm not terribly good at planning. <laughs> yeah. And like you said before, you adjust, you kind of, you know, the first class might not be the best and you kind of see what worked, what didn't work. And then the yeah. next one is better and it gets better and better. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a yeah. nice thing that you can constantly shift things around. Yeah. And like see what's what's working and what's not do you feel like that those things have held true with teaching online or is this like, how are you managing that? Is it a yeah. whole other ball game? It's funny. I'm, you know, it, all these different schools do different things. I'm basically mm-hmm. not teaching online. Okay. I am hopping into different classrooms on like these uh-huh. kind of Google meet things. Why not? I am basically, I did give one mini lesson. It looks like I'm going to do another one soon. So I did do mm-hmm. one mini lesson, but where I just a 10 minute thing where I went a drawing and then they kind of did the drawing with me and they held things up to mm-hmm. the screen. But for the most part, where I'm teaching, they're very concerned about not overwhelming the parents. Yeah. So, though I am getting together the Google Classroom and I'm starting to do more with like video editing and trying to put together these little videos, mm-hmm. it remains to be seen how many people actually see that stuff. So, yeah. yeah. And have there been any resources that have been really helpful with that? By resources, you mean? Yeah, like you mentioned Google Classroom that you're using. Is there anything else that you feel like has helped you that might help other teachers in terms of like any tools or online resources? Yeah, or, I basically, yeah. you know, we've been doing the Google Classroom. Mm-hmm. That's useful. I have this, I mean, if people use like the iMovie I on their phone. Yeah. For some reason I found it awkward. I have this video editor thing on my phone called Splice. Okay. And I think it's like it used to be free and now maybe it costs a couple dollars a month or something. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe I just find it easier to use because I had I had used it. Right. But I think that I find it to be a little bit more user friendly in terms of just like easily cutting things and together and whatnot. Right. Yeah, it's just such a funny time to the resources, but basically yeah. just, yeah, doing the not too much else. I don't have too much help. Yeah, I'm sort of, you know, I'm a first year teacher and the first 
time pandemic thing, I guess uh, I'm still, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a little figuring it out myself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think everybody's kind of in that, even the teachers that have been teaching for decades are thrown into this totally new way of doing it. And yeah, yeah. it's strange to be like a first year teacher is a very specific kind of thing. And then, yeah. you know, you know that everyone else knows what's going on and you don't ever know what's going on because oh. you're just a first year. And now in this time, it's like, it, it's, it's, it's strange how it's leveled things. Yeah. Yeah. Like and nobody knows what's going on. Yeah. That's uh, not comforting. No. And I know we talked a bit about your artwork. Would you want to talk any more about your work and like the paintings that you've done in the past or? Yeah, I think that, well, one thing is that I'm so inspired by my students work mm-hmm. constantly, particularly like second grade. You know, for me, once you get into like third grade is, you know, here and there. Once you get fourth, fifth grade, it's like they already are too, uh, they know what's good and bad or something like that. Like mm-hmm. they're more constrained. It's something about it, when the early grades, the first and second grade, their the work is very inventive in strange ways. And it's, they make decisions which you would never have thought of. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I'm constantly, you know, inspired and I'm constantly thinking, I'm going to take that idea and just make a big painting of that. (laughs) And I'll look great. But yeah, so I, I think that one thing is it's, you know, it's kind of in some ways kind of, I feel reinvigorated in terms of my, my own art because I have constantly going into a room and seeing all this amazing art being made. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I think the metaphor for me sometimes as a teacher is, you know, there's that kind of scene in Fantasia where Mickey has got to clean up the room or something, and yeah. and she's got to use the magic to make the buckets and the mops go clean up the room. And that was kind of my first time teaching. You know, I said, "Okay, everybody." It was like the first day, first time ever teaching. I was like, "Everyone, you know, paint that still life." And all of a sudden, there's like 20 paintings coming into being at once, like it was like magic. Like yeah. I just, and it's sort of like I think I've always been really kind of amazed by that, and it continues to be amazing how you go into a room and you say some stuff, and then all of a sudden there's all this art happening, and it just <laughs> fills me with like I'm excited and I always I feel like I always leave a, a class or even a whole day teaching I feel like I always kind of have more energy than I had when I went in because yeah. it's so kind of exciting all the stuff going on mm. so I think that it, that really connects to my art in that way and I, I think my art has always been very interested in the art of children and mm-hmm. folk art and kind of simple uh, gestures, if you will. I don't know if simple isn't really the right word, but so it, it connects in that way. Yeah. I know you have three kids of your own. Have you done a lot of art with them? Yeah. And your wife's also an artist. Yes. Yeah. Yes. My so. wife, Megan Wynn, yeah. is is uh, artist and she does a lot of actual photo work and takes mm-hmm. pictures of the kids and, and does this kind of like photo slash kind of performance yeah. art and I am always behind the camera as well. Oh. So in a way, I don't, sometimes I don't think about it as my art because I'm kind of like an art assistant, but I'm, I'm yeah. involved with that. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, you just, it's very casual with my kids. Like when we're drawing, it's kind of like, we'll just be drawing stuff and, and, and generally not to uh, like do this assignment, <laughs> but it's funny how I'll, I'll be doing an assignment or I'll be planning an assignment and, or my first grader, you know, at home will see it and then she'll do it and so she'll jump in and sort of do assignments that I'm planning and that's also very useful for a teacher to have this little kind of testing ground at home yes 
Oh, I told I have a four year old and I totally test out lessons with her. <laughs> yeah, see if it's age appropriate. Yep. Very- yeah, and like how much time does this take her? What steps did I forget that she's asking me about? <laughs> yes, yeah, like can their hands use these scissors to cut that paper? And like right. that's sometimes the biggest thing. Yeah. Motor skills and stuff. Right. Yeah, I use a lot of cardboard as well in my classroom. Mm-hmm. So then I'm like, okay, how much do I need to pre cut and you know, what age, at what age can they start being able to cut their own cardboard? Yeah. That's one of the biggest things that you don't realize going into mm-hmm. elementary is like the amount of prep, the amount of cutting up paper. Oh. And like, in yeah. my case, there's like very little prep time. So like you'll come out on a Monday and there's like five minutes or something and like cut a uh, thousand pieces of paper. Yeah. So that's, that's a big thing to be aware of. How are you going to manage your class prep time? Like I've got a paper cutter at home or you got to do that early mm-hmm. in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. How have you kind of juggled all of that art making and parenting? and yeah. teaching I think I all just the prep. Like, <laughs> never take a break. That's <laughs> yeah. So like every spare second is like me cutting paper furiously at a paper cutter somewhere. Oh. But yeah, and I do have a paper cutter at home. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, you know, and I've been on it sometimes like week to week on a cart, like art on a cart at a school, and then kind of bring oh, that yeah. cart between two schools. So then you're like, oh. you don't you don't want to like leave your glue sticks at one school. So a lot of times I'll always have this giant cart of stuff wheeling at home, wheeling it from school to school, and always kind of find a little time. It's funny how like oh. when school was in session, it's just like 100% of <laughs> the 24 hours in a day is like revolves around class and prepping for class. And now in this time of school, not being in session, it's just kind of a surreal kind of like drop of all that stuff that was happening. It's almost like yeah. I don't even remember who I was. <laughs> so such a shocking change to not be doing all that prep work. Right. Do you feel like it's it's given you more time now or is it just a different, a shift in what you're doing with that time? Because now you have three kids uh, at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's one big thing is you've got, and then you have to worry about all these other kind of like safety issues. Uh, yeah, yeah. Whether you're in quarantine and then the, all these different kind of things you have to worry about getting your food right. and washing all your food off or something. So there's all this, <sighs> it seems like there's very little free time. Mm-hmm. But then there's also like learning how to do all this stuff online, right? which is kind of new, new. So that takes up a lot of time. So somehow it's weird that I end up somehow very busy all the time. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh. Yeah, but I feel the same way. There was, it, it is an interesting, because I hadn't really thought about that shift of, I'm not prepping materials for like 1400 kids anymore. Instead, I'm trying to figure out how to make videos and share them. Yeah. For- those kids yeah like it was technically easier to be going to work all the time and prepping right but i always say it's like it's always easier to go to work than to like be at home with my children (laughs) (laughs) you know it's always it's always like i always think oh it's like it's the weekend but that's more work or if i go home when i leave the school for the day it's like i'm going home to take care of children and those children yeah. don't listen to me as much. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's kind of kind of easier to not listen when it's your own parent, and yeah, just, you know they love you and they're. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it's still it's fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thinking more about your work and and kind of your career as an artist, I know you've you've had some pretty big shows and you've been in New American Paintings a couple times. Mm-hmm. I wanted to hear about sort of how you seek out 
out opportunities and just if there's any sort of advice you would give there? Yeah. You know, one of the biggest things I think that happened to me is I started where I was working at the Virginia Museum of Contemporary Art in Virginia Beach. Mm-hmm. And I was like just doing a little art handling job. Uh-huh. And then someone just kind of curious about my work and they saw my work there and then they gave me a little show. And then a person, the curator there Heather Hakimzadeh, she set up this other shows with me or introduced me to uh, someone who, who gave me a job at the governor's school in, in Norfolk. So I think one thing is how little little things, little connections roll into other things. Yeah. In terms of, it seems like, I guess the one reason, that's not really me seeking out opportunities, but so much opportunity has happened from that little kind of connection because mm-hmm. uh, in gen- general seeking out i guess i'll i'll you know you know you just do the usual i'll like be like uh looking on the internet just or just looking at the different uh institutions that might have opportunities seems like people it just people have just told me about things or you hear about things from word of mouth yeah yeah like i think i guess that's you know keeping in contact with other artists other teachers and checking your email <laughs> being on mailing lists (laughs) but i yeah i'm not but i'm definitely not the most savvy in terms of like seeking out opportunities and stuff like that a lot Mm -hmm. of times i'll just they just seem to the biggest things that i've achieved generally seems like fall in my lap (laughs) so Uh i've become kind of like lazy i just like expect well i'll just wait for the next thing to fall in my lap it'll be fine Right. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I feel like even if it does feel like they're kind of falling in your lap, there's something you've done. Like maybe it is some of those connections or it's the things that you've applied to that are, you know, that you've applied to online that then people see your work somewhere and there's something that you've done to get your work in front of the right people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Give yourself some credit. Oh, uh, yes. Oh, yes. That's <laughs> yeah. to Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I think just doing, you know, I think somebody, somebody said, I think in, when I was in college, something like, you know, if you're not, you're not doing your job unless you're getting like five rejection letters every year. Uh, yeah. You need to be getting, you need to think about it. You should be getting lots of rejections, which makes me think I should right. be applying to more things. Right. But yeah, I think that's part of the job. You got to keep putting yourself out there and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and then risking that rejection. Right. And then, and, and, and keep in mind that it leads to other things. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, you can show your work or something and it kind of then like nothing really happens. And you think, what am I doing? And then you put all the money, you're putting in all the money into it and all that. And if you have kids, you're like, hmm, like what? <laughs> what am I putting on the, you know, I could, my children need milk. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Like, can I pay this $50 application fee or yeah. should I spend that 50 bucks on some food? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's not worth Yeah. Son, you got it. But, you know, then if you add up all your Starbucks drinks in a month or something, uh, just have a few yeah. less Starbucks and apply to a show. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then the other thing that I I have to remind myself of is even a rejection, it means somebody saw your work and maybe it wasn't good for that specific show, but maybe that curator is going to remember it and like call you up later. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Instagram has been something that's been mm-hmm. nice that I, you know, have work on there and then every once in a while someone will kind of buy something from me. Little, you know, I have like watercolors, yeah. like smaller things, but and other, you know, other little things will happen from that or even just people like talking yeah. about or like connections. So I think that's another thing is we don't have to do as much applying to that show where there's a few judges that judge you. But you can do – there's mm-hmm. a lot more opportunities just like showing your work online and having a community of people that see it. And, yeah. you know, it's a changing landscape in terms of the – you know, I mean – 
last time I checked, it was all about the big art fairs and, uh, you know, the galleries seem to be kind of going out and the art fairs are in and, and I've kind of, and I've been kind of out of it in terms of the big kind of what's going on in the fine art world. <laughs> but, but things like Instagram have been interesting as a way to just see, see a lot of stuff. Yeah. And connect with a lot of people yeah. in and in and out of the art world. Yeah. Yeah. A couple little, just kind of fun, like get to know you wrapping up questions. <laughs> Uh, what is something you're not so good at? I would say I'm not very good at organization, like mm-hmm. putting having a system where things go in a certain place and then putting them back. Like I always have, <laughs> whether it's my studio, any place that's my area will become very messy. And then I have to like clean it up every once in a while and then it just gets messy. Again right. Because I'll just say, right. well, I don't have to put this in the right spot now. Uh. <laughs> and then I just, it just, it's kind of like a, I, I, you know, Francis Bacon studio kind of situation generally. It kind of devolves into that. Yeah. And then I have to, but at least I, I, I pat myself on the back by saying that I have the ability to clean it up. Yes. Periodically, which not everyone has that ability. Right. <laughs> so I'd say <laughs> basically a kind of undisciplined, disorganized kind of person. I'm not, right. I hope no listening to this that they're thinking about giving me a teaching job <laughs> i'll just keep my job but, yeah what is but, what does your classroom look like <laughs> yeah yeah they um, yeah sometimes i think i'm better on the cart because then mm-hmm. i don't have to deal with a whole room like i've just become a big mess yeah you're kind but, of confined to the cart <laughs> yeah i think that is a something i have to it's a challenge for me as a teacher because there's a lot of planning and then there's mm-hmm. a lot of constant like emails they want you to you know do this do little little thing or like yeah. just fill that out and i have trouble keeping track of all these kind of little things yeah. and well, then i kind of make up i guess with a, my strong point I, I my strong points make up for that in the terms of like spontaneity and mm-hmm. improv and coming up with things at the drop of a hat and I can, you know, I can walk in, I can, I used to teach at VCU and I would almost just drive, I would drive two hours commute to teach there and I would just basically plan my lesson on the drive there. Right. Probably I walk into class half knowing what I was going to do. Yeah. And then, you know, to give the homework, I would like go to the bathroom and then come back with a photocopy or something, you know. (laughs) And so I went for years at the college level. It was very, very, you know, I would just be constantly improvising everything at the last minute. But in the one hand, that's not ideal to do that all the time. But it did give me this kind of skill set of being able to really kind of turn on a dime and, mm-hmm. and react to a class and be able to plan very kind of individually, make very mm-hmm. little adjustments to help that specific class. Right. So I, I guess I, I'm kind of put a positive spin. I got this I kind of this undisciplined un, or in disorganized side, but then it's it, right. I, I had to really make up for that in other ways. Yeah, and I feel like it's it's a habit you have to kind of force on yourself if you're like I feel like my nature is not super super organized but I have like habits that try to keep me organized yeah I'm hoping to have like no space in my house that is only mine that like (laughs) if my wife has to like be there it's like I I won't be able to break havoc (laughs) she kind of keeps you in line (laughs) yes she's she's got the master plan yeah and then kind of the flip side what is one of the best compliments you've gotten i don't know i was i was thinking i was something that came to my mind i was thinking about that question like was like just about my first first day of class and i was kind of had this hallway duty you know as a second grade a line of second graders walking by yeah. and this little kid was like with the most enthusiastic sincerity was he was like you're the best Aww. and i had never <laughs> seen the kid before in my life like and i think i said i'm like how do you know i'm the best 
honest. <laughs> I mean, like suddenly, yeah. like you know, I was like, we haven't even met, but right. and I and it was a funny moment, but. And maybe in some way that points to the idea that when you're a teacher, you're there's you, the teacher, but then you're part of this greater body of teachers. So you're representing mm-hmm. teachers. You know, it's like the maybe the kid's compliment. He was kind of maybe just speaking of the fact that like I'm a teacher, therefore I'm part of this kind of group of people who are like loved or something. <laughs> yeah. Maybe there's some oh. depth in his silliness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I love how how sweet the kids can be sometimes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I get them wanting to come up and hug or just being, you know, making little like sweet little notes that's like, I love art or best art teacher. Yeah. All of that stuff. There's a lot of that. I've got some tiny little books that say that I'm loved. And yeah. Yes. And then there's these, the hallway hugging, which it's like, (laughs) if you hug one kid, I've actually had. One kid came to hug me and then another, and then I had like seven kids trying to hug me yeah, and then two kids on the floor you. and they were like crying. <laughs> they got hurt and like, okay, this is oh, getting out of hand. Just... You got to be careful not to like give one kid a high five and then it's just like a, a, a snowball. They mob you. Yes. Right. Dangerous. <laughs> oh, and fun, silly question. What's your go-to order at your favorite restaurant? That's a tough question. But I was going to say, if you go down to the Lower East Side in Manhattan and you go to mm. Shopson's General Store, it is a restaurant that I would get a bowl of chili because uh-huh. um, they probably wouldn't make me pay. So it was like something I can order that would very little work. They just had to scoop something in a bowl. And then I wouldn't feel guilty that they gave it to me for free because I used to work there. (laughs) Oh, nice. (laughs) That's my go-to meal. Yeah. Go anywhere. Kind of filling and, yeah. Yes. And free. (laughs) Nice. Is there anybody that you would want to thank or give like a shout out to? I think I would. My wife, Megan Wynn, would be the person mm-hmm. I should give the shout out to the most because I think everything that I have like accomplished or done is in some way thanks to her or her support or and help in various ways teaching because i mean she's you know she's i mean she, i don't <laughs> she's great in many ways and you know some somebody who's always there to keep me on uh, you know give me some very good advice and support yeah that's awesome that's very very helpful in this career that we've chosen yes yeah. And where can listeners connect with you online? My Instagram is just like at BladeWin as my the Instagram account. And yeah, I was putting my art on there for a while. And then the, the, the last several posts have just been me posting selections of work from various assignments that I've been teaching. So mm-hmm. and maybe I should start doing that thing where you kind of split the two into different areas. Uh, yeah. So but, I, you know, I could be contacted through that Instagram. Cool. And check out some there's art and some of the student art as well. Yeah, I haven't split it up either. I'm like, it's it's too much to manage. Yeah. <laughs> just like stick it all in one place. Yeah. But maybe that is good advice to kind of have your art, your personal artwork and your teaching sort of a little bit separate. Yeah. If, yeah. Start feeling like if I only post student art and then I start posting my art, it looks the same and then people won't know it's what. <laughs> And right. I'll have to write captions and things. Yeah, like which one's mine and which yeah. one's Yeah, <laughs> then they'll see I'm oh. stealing all my students' art ideas from them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, I love it. <laughs> well, is there anything else you would want to share before mm. we... Something I was thinking about is that, you know, I was thinking about the question of you were mentioning the kind of like any questions haven't been asked. It's something I was thinking about. If someone asked me just like, what is art? I would have be like, that would be hard for us to answer that question. Or or what is art for? Like, why are we teaching art? What is it? What is it for? And yeah. it'd be hard. It's, it's, it's funny that it's such a slippery question to answer. And I feel like we mm-hmm. know it instinctually in our bones somehow that we, we know why, but it would be hard to explain it. It would be hard to say it. And it would probably be hard to make an argument to the superintendent for this or that. <laughs> but, and they have arguments. And sometimes, you know, art is in the service of other things. Sometimes you'll say like, well, it's studies show that if you, you know, do art, then you'll be better at math later. And sometimes mm-hmm. there's, you know, and you think is that is, is, is art for, you know, in some ways it's, it's for the whole person. But anyway, mm-hmm. I thought that's kind of, sometimes those kind of questions that I don't, don't have a good answer for. So I'm glad you didn't ask that question. But, <laughs> yeah. But those questions, I think someday, someday I'll, I'll get around to thinking about them more. <laughs> yeah. And like, I almost feel like it would help to write down and I wouldn't be able to write it in like sentences. It would have to be almost like some kind of mind map, just like words and circles connecting them yeah. and arrows. And it would be visual. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A tough one. A tough one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time. It was nice to hear more about your teaching and your artwork. You're welcome. Thank you very much for yeah. interviewing me. It's, it's been a treat. I love how Blade has adjusted his own art practice to fit into his life as a busy first-year teacher and parent of three young kids. He's growing trees in pots as an art form, as objects to draw or paint from, as sculpture, as a practice that feeds creativity. I can't help but relate his plants to his students. He spoke about how he gives a little water and helps shape the plants and the plants continue to grow for years. It makes him think about longevity and a brighter future. Children bring me to those hopeful thoughts. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or teachingartistpodcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you. Thank you.